Hello, listeners. This is Mike, your host. If you are enjoying these archive episodes, please consider supporting the podcast by going to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. Hopefully, with your support, I can continue to release these archive episodes. Thanks. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 153 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Zond 5, Tortoises in Space. Recall from episode 151 that we covered the Zond 4, which was a Soyuz model 7KL-1. The 7KL-1 was based on the Soyuz 7K-OK with the orbital module and docking hardware removed, so the payload was in the descent module. The orbital module was replaced with a support cone and a high-gain parabolic antenna. Also, the reserve parachute was removed. The descent module was big enough to carry two cosmonauts. The launch vehicle was the Proton-K carrier rocket with a Block D upper stage, it was designed and built at Vladimir Chalomi's Design Bureau. The Proton was 53 meters high and had a diameter of 24 feet. It could be configured with three or four stages. It was just powerful enough to send a 7KL-1 around the moon without going into lunar orbit. The 7KL-1 would use a free return trajectory to return from the moon. Zond 4 was launched on March 2, 1968, but it was launched 180 degrees away from the moon. Zond 4 reached an apogee of 354,000 kilometers, which was the intention. The main mission was to test out the technology of control, stellar correction, return to Earth, entry into a pre-calculated corridor, deceleration with two atmospheric passes, and landing. A couple of days later, things began to go wrong, particularly with the 100K Star Tracker, which made course corrections very difficult. Three days later, Zond 4 lost attitude control, and during the seventh day of the flight, Zond 4 returned to Earth but did not re-enter the atmosphere using the skip method. This threw it off course, and the self-destruct activated because it would be unable to land in Soviet territory. Now, the Soviets viewed this flight as a success, except for the Star Tracker, of course. Everything worked accurately the first time. This meant they were ready to go to the next logical step in their goal of a manned circumlunar flight before the United States did. Now, this is the reason I gave you all the information from Zond 4. Zond 5 
used the same equipment and configuration as Zond 4, but there were two key differences. Instead of flying away from the moon, Zond 5 would take a circumlunar trajectory, which meant it looped around the moon but didn't go into multiple orbits around it. Think of a big lopsided figure 8 with the Earth within a large loop and the moon within a smaller one. This was very similar to the emergency trajectory that Apollo 13 took following the disastrous malfunctions that plagued that craft on its way to the moon. Now, the second difference between Zond 4 and Zond 5 was Zond 5 had a biological payload, which included wine flies, mealworms, plants, bacteria, and two Russian tortoises. Additionally, according to the Russian Academy of Sciences, in the pilot seat was a 175 centimeter tall, 70 kilogram mannequin containing radiation detectors. The first attempt for a Zond 4 follow-up launched on April 22, 1968, but it failed when the launch escape system sent an erroneous abort command at T plus 260 seconds and shut down the proton booster's second stage. But the escape rocket fired and did pull the descent module to safety, so at least the escape system was proven. Then, in July of 1968, another 7KL-1 was being prepared for launch when the Block D stage exploded on the pad, killing three people, but leaving the proton booster and spacecraft with only minor damage. Finally, on September 15, 1968, the 11,850-pound Zond 5 was launched from Baikonur into a very accurate parking orbit. The orbit was within 0.4 kilometers of the planned perigee and 0.2 kilometers of apogee. Stage 1 separated and Stage 2 ignited at T plus 120 seconds at an altitude of 42 kilometers. The SAS abort tower was jettisoned at T plus 185 seconds. Stage 2 separated and Stage 3 ignited at T plus 338 seconds at an altitude of 130 kilometers. Third stage cutoff came at T plus 481 seconds at an altitude of 161 kilometers. The L1 assembly then coasted for 251 seconds, followed by a 108 second Block D stage burn to put it into parking orbit. After 56 minutes in orbit, the Block D fired again to put the spacecraft on translunar trajectory. While en route to the moon, the main stellar attitude control optical surface became contaminated and was rendered unusable. Backup sensors were used to guide spacecraft. On September 18, 1968, the spacecraft flew around the moon. The closest distance was 1,950 kilometers. High-quality photographs of the Earth were taken at a distance of 90,000 kilometers. Returning to Earth, another attitude control sensor failed, 
making the planned guided entry impossible and forcing the spacecraft controllers to use a direct ballistic entry. On September 21, 1968, the reentry capsule entered the Earth's atmosphere using the direct ballistic entry. But, unlike Zon 4, the self-destruct command was not given. Instead, Zon 5 braked aerodynamically and deployed parachutes at 7 kilometers above sea level. The landing was supposed to occur in Kakistan, but instead, after the ballistic 20G re-entry, the capsule splashed down in the Indian Ocean at 32.63 degrees south, 65.55 degrees east, at 16.08 GMT. Soviet naval vessels Borovichi and Vasily Golovin were 100 kilometers from the landing location and recovered the spacecraft the next day, shipping it via Bombay back to the Soviet Union. The United States ship McMorris was shadowing the Soviet ships collecting intelligence information. Although the ballistic reentry would have been bad for human occupants, it did not appear to affect the biological specimens, all of which were alive and well when the descent module was finally opened four days after landing. It was announced that the tortoises had lost about 10% of their body weight but remained active and showed no loss of appetite. Photographs taken by the USS McMorris of the descent module bobbing in the ocean aroused concern at NASA that the Soviets were planning a manned circumlunar flight soon, especially since the U.S. had been tracking Zon 5 for its entire flight. Zon 5 may have contributed to the decision to launch Apollo 8 to the moon in December instead of its originally planned mission of testing the lunar module in high Earth orbit. But NASA was already a step ahead of the Soviets. On August 12th, the space agency decided that Apollo 8 would go to the moon in December. It would fly with just a command module, since the lunar module was behind schedule, but Apollo couldn't sit around and wait. Besides, the agency needed deep space and lunar orbital experience. Zon 5 just added an external pressure to NASA's internal drive to get to the moon by the end of the year. Now, what did Zon 5 accomplish? It was the first spacecraft to circle the moon and return to land on Earth. It took high-quality photographs of the Earth, around 90,000 kilometers distance, it was the first spacecraft to circle the moon and return with living creatures. It proved that the spacecraft could keep animals alive on a round-trip mission to the moon. The tortoises spent a week in space before splashing down in the Indian Ocean. These tortoises became among the first earthly life forms to complete a lunar flyby and return safely to Earth, proving it possible and paving the way for future human astronauts. Zond 5 wasn't the end of the line for tortoise cosmonauts. Zond 7 and Zond 8 each carried multiple tortoises. Tortoises then came out of a five-year retirement to be sent up again 
aboard Soyuz 20 in 1975. This time, they were in for the long haul, spending a total of 90.5 days in space and consequently breaking the record for the longest amount of time an animal had spent in space. Finally, in February 2010, the Iranian Space Agency sent up their first biological payload into a suborbital flight. Aboard were two tortoises. From being among the first animals to take a trip around the moon to breaking records for time in space, tortoises are very much a part of the animal space flight. Like all of the others that have made Earth's space program successful, I salute the tortoises for their contributions. The Zon 5 return capsule is on display at the RKK Inertia Museum in Russia. Okay, Zond 5 ran a little short, so we have some time for bonus material. In the past, I have mentioned the Mississippi Test Facility in several episodes. I thought it would be interesting to briefly provide some background information on this facility that is now called Stennis. NASA's John C. Stennis Space Center has a rich history in space exploration. It was established as Mississippi Test Operations in the early 1960s. The site was designed to test the engines for America's first journeys to the moon aboard the Apollo spacecraft. The facility was renamed in 1988 for Mississippi Senator John C. Stennis, who championed its construction in his home state. Stennis is now the nation's largest rocket engine testing facility and has tested all of the main engines for the space shuttle missions and is preparing to test the next generation of rocket engines that will carry astronauts beyond low Earth orbit again. When President John F. Kennedy made his historic 1961 announcement that the United States would put humans on the moon by the end of that decade, a place was needed to test the powerful engines that would propel them on their journey. For NASA officials, the rough terrain of Hancock County, Mississippi, provided the five things necessary to test the large Apollo engines. First, a site isolated from large population centers. Second, water and road access for transportation needs. Third, public utility availability. Fourth, nearby supporting communities and fifth, a climate conducive for year-round engine testing. In May 1963, workers felled the first tree in a daunting construction project. The effort marked the largest construction project in the state of Mississippi and the second largest in the United States at that time. At its peak during the summer of 1965, there were 6,100 workers on site employed by 30 prime and 250 subprime contractors, all involved in the construction of facilities and the trio of test stands for the Apollo program's Saturn V rocket engines. The massive 200-foot-tall steel and concrete test structures were built to last, able to withstand thrust loads of more than 1 million pounds and temperatures up to 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit, 
During those hectic early days of construction, workers also built a seven and one-half mile canal system to connect the test stands to the Pearl River. The canal system was needed for transporting the large Apollo stages from the nearby Machode Assembly Facility in New Orleans and on to Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Despite a pressing schedule, occasional setbacks, and even the disruption of Hurricane Betsy in 1965, workers toiled day and night to prevail in their construction task. On April 23, 1966, just three years after the first tree was felled and construction began, a Saturn V second-stage prototype was test-fired on the A-2 test stand. With the shake, rattle, and roar of the test, South Mississippi was blasted into the space age. During the Apollo years from 67 until 1972, Stennis test-fired all first and second stages of the Saturn V rocket for the Apollo program. Machode Assembly Facility manufactured the large rocket stages. From that nearby New Orleans facility, the stages were sent by barge to Stennis. After testing, the stages were transported by barge once more, this time across the Gulf of Mexico to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, where they were prepared for launch on Apollo missions. The first test firing on April 23, 1966 represented a vital milestone for the Apollo program. Altogether, Stennis conducted 42 tests for the Apollo program, including ones on all of the engines used in the program's manned missions. The Apollo program launched three unmanned and 12 manned missions with six actual lunar landings. A dozen astronauts walked on the moon. The first lunar footprints were those of Apollo 11's astronaut Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on July 20, 1969. The final steps were taken by Apollo 17 crew members Harrison Smith and Eugene Cernan on December 14, 1972. They and their astronaut colleagues who joined the exclusive lunar club on other missions all were safely transported 240,250 miles to the moon by engines proven flight-worthy at Stennis. After Apollo, NASA announced it would create the world's first reusable spacecraft, the Space Shuttle. Stennis Space Center was called on to test the new vehicle's main engines. After converting the Apollo test structures, Stennis and contractor General Electric tested the first Space Shuttle main engine on the A-1 test stand on May 19, 1975. For the next 34 years, Stennis and major contractor Pratt & Whitney Rocketdyne would continue to test every engine used to power the shuttle into orbit. In that time, not a single mission failed because of engine malfunction. Stennis also conducted extensive testing to return the space shuttle to safe flight after the losses of Space Shuttle's Challenger in 1986 and Columbia in 2003. On January 9, 2015, NASA's goal of sending astronauts to deep space took a major step forward when the first engine of the type designed to power the mighty space launch system blazed to life during a successful test firing at Stennis. 
The milestone hot fire test involved igniting a Shuttle Era RS-25 Space Shuttle main engine for 500 seconds on the A-1 test stand at Stennis. A quartet of RS-25s formerly used to power the Space Shuttle orbiters will now power the core stage of the SLS, which will be the most powerful rocket the world has ever seen, and the engines will be tested at Stennis. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.